0: worship you, to praise you, to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, for the the wonderful opportunity that you've given us this morning to come and to sit and hear and to feast upon the bread of life this morning, your word. God, as your word goes forth this morning, I pray that we would not refuse or reject or ask for signs or ask for evidence or ask for proof. I pray that this morning, God, as your word goes forth, that we would humbly receive your word with joy and gladness, and that your word would be a sweet taste in our mouth, and it would revive our souls. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you become more. I pray, God, that you would move me out of the way this morning, and that my Soul audience, God, would be you and to be faithful to your word. Lord, help me to speak carefully. Help me to, to, to walk fearfully before you this morning, Lord. Lord, and I pray that you would be glorified and you would be honored and you would be magnified. And I pray that as your people leave this place, your word would ring in their ears. Your word would resound in their hearts. Now, Lord, to, to you who is, who is able, I entrust this time. And I pray, God, that you would do overly, <laughs> over and above what I could ever expect. And I thank you, God, that you are sovereign over this time. Let your sheep hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The last time that we were together, we were learning about the the heart of a false disciple. And we learned that although many people call themselves believers in Christ and possibly even disciples of Christ, we learned that there are a few characteristics of false disciples. Jesus said that people would turn from Christ because of persecution. That people would turn, they would be false disciples because they would be deceived by riches. Others, false disciples, would be lured away by the system of the world. Other false disciples would follow for a little while and then they would turn to an easier path that was much easier than the narrow road that Christ calls us to. Others would be unwilling to let go of relationships that were apparently more valuable than the relationship of Christ. But ultimately, in John chapter six, those who are turning from Christ, the false disciples that are turning from Christ are turning from him, not because of the things that we just said. Rather, they're turning from Christ because the words of Christ were too difficult for them to take. And that's it. That is at the, the core of every false believer. Every false believer, eventually, whether sooner or later, will turn from the words of Christ. They will be too much for them to handle. I was listening yesterday to Dr. James White as he was a guest on the Doctor. Drew Show. You ever heard of Dr. Drew? the show was discussing the recent actions of Bruce Jenner, who has expressed his sinful nature in wanting to go against the natural design of God and making himself a woman when he was created to be a man. On that panel, the, the guest speakers described themselves all as being spiritual people. One said... I'm a Christian, but I'm more spiritual than anything. Each person began to speak about why they think and feel they were right. Let me say that again. Each person began to express why they think and why they feel they were right. That their source of authority was, I think and I feel. Imagine... If you relied on your thinking and your feeling, where would you be today if you followed every single one of those whimsical whims? The floor was then given to James White and he began to ask the question, what is our final authority here? If we can determine what our final authority is, then we will know what our worldview is. Thus, we will see that we are simply having a clash of worldviews. That your worldview says, my final authority is what I think and feel. Guess what you are now? You're autonomous. You have just made yourself your own God. Ours, on the other hand, is the word of God, sola scriptura, which means we are not autonomous. We are under the rule and reign of a king. We are in his kingdom and we pray that his kingdom or will be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. The crowd went berserk when he said, This man, Bruce, and it's offensive if you call him Bruce rather than Caitlin, Bruce was made a man. God did not make him a woman. The crowd went berserk. Isn't God loving? Isn't God caring? But when you begin to explain the word of God and what it says, the people reject it. They don't want to hear what the word of God says. They want to live by their own word. They want to live by their own authority. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Everything's wrong with that. Are you free to do so? Of course you're free to do so. And you are also free to inherit the hell that will surely come with that. Humanity desires autonomy. They desire to be their own gods. I was recently sent a text in which... The homosexual movement is attempting to post billboards across the country with a cartoon picture of God. With a silhouette of a rainbow in his background that says, God loves gays. This is obviously an attack against who? Against you. Against me. But ultimately against this. Against this. Against God's word. Against God's word. Interesting how... They're not attacking the Quran. They're not even attacking the Book of Mormon. That's right. They're not attacking the New World Translation. That's right. They're not attacking Hindus and Buddhists. They are going after the one religious group. Well, they won't go after Islam because Islam will really kill them. But Christianity, because we're supposed to be loving and kind and, and, and patient, we're supposed to accept this. This is an attack against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Reject God's word, they say, and accept our translation of what we say or else or else what? They will be coming after you, brothers and sisters. They are already they will be coming after our churches. They are already they will be going after Christian owned and operated businesses. They are already. What do you need to do? You need to pray, first of all, for them. You need to pray for them. Yes. Let's get a better amen than that. You need to pray for them. Yes. This is not a war against them per se, it's a war against principalities, yes. against spiritual darkness. Yes. And we need to pray yes. that God preserves His people yes. to stand on His word. Meaning this: don't give in, That's right. don't compromise. If you need to go to jail, then go to jail. But don't compromise on the word of God. If they shut me down, that's fine. But I'm taking this with me. That's right. That's right. That's right. We will not compromise. That's right. We will not compromise. That's right. They don't want God. They don't want God's word. They want their word. And they want their word to stand over God's word. And they want us to shut up. That's right. Well, let me tell you something. We will not be silent. Amen. We will not. Let me also say that every sinner, whether homosexual, adulterer, pornographer, pedophile, you name it. Every sexual sin that refuses to repent is in the same category as a Bruce Jenner who needs to repent. That's right. Amen. Amen. So we're not picking on a particular group. No, we say all sexual sin is under the umbrella of sin. That's right. Amen. And you will be judged for it. Yes. 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 That's what God's Word says. Yes. And all people who are living in sin want to run to the darkness when light begins to be exposed because they don't want their sin to be seen. That's right. Amen. This is exactly what Christ was doing when He began to speak to this crowd now, in this case, they're rejecting Christ because he is rejecting their works, righteousness, salvation. The works that they believe they would be acceptable before God in spite of their unrighteousness. Look at John six twenty-seven. It says this. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal. He said to them, you have labored this hard. If you have been listening, you've labored this hard to find me. But you're still seeking food. You're still looking beyond what you actually need. Don't work for the food that perishes. You want me to give you more food, but it's going to perish. Don't work so hard for something that's going to, in the end, perish. Those who have eyes, let them see. Those who have ears, let them hear. He says to them standing in front of them, I am the bread unique. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? How do we earn this? Verse 29. This is the word of God. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The only work that you can do is believe. There is nothing that you can add to your salvation. Nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. This needs to be reiterated week after week. Even if you know the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you must hear this every single week. Okay, I can't earn it. There's nothing that I can do. Okay, I'm trying too hard here, and I've got to realize that Christ has already solidified and purchased my salvation. Hear that weekly. Be reminded of that weekly, because our tendency is to try to go back to... Something that I can do. There's got to be more that I could do to earn His grace. No, there is not. That's right. Amen. This morning, we are going to look at the sermon that Christ preaches to these people in light of this passage. It is called the Sermon of the Bread of Life. This morning, we are going to look at two different points. We're going to look at a wicked response to the gospel and spiritual blindness, blindness. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter six, verse number 30. I thought we would be able to be. I was going to be ambitious and get through 20 verses, but I can only get through 10. Let's go to verse 30, please. John 630. I'm going to read to verse 40. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. May God add a blessing to the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. When we study through church history, the church has been blessed with many keepers of the flame whom God has used to evangelize the lost and edify the redeemed. We could speak of Peter who preached boldly at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We could tell of the apostles who boldly proclaimed the gospel all throughout the book of Acts and also throughout the first century of the church. We could talk about their contemporaries who carried that torch, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and ran with it proudly. We could mention such men as Basil, John Chrysostom, Augustine, who all explained, exclaimed, and exhorted God's Word. We could talk about the the many powerful men that were used as God's mouthpiece. We could speak of Luther and his oratory genius and his wit. We could speak of John Calvin and his incredible ability to systematically teach God's Word. Or George Whitfield. And his ability to speak in such a way that unbelievers such as Ben Franklin would come out and hear him speak simply because the passion that he evoked in his voice. Can you imagine Ben Franklin being in the audience? We could speak of Spurgeon, who was known as the the Prince of Preachers. Tens of thousands of people would gather to, to hear this man speak with no microphone. And they would walk away smitten by the Spirit of God. Spurgeon may be known as the prince of preachers, but there is only one king of all the powerful preachers who have ever lived. There is only one that perfectly, without error, exclaimed, explained and exhorted God's word perfectly. Only one perfectly. of all the great preachers of today and yesterday, there is only one who knew God's word like no other. Inside, outside, outside and inside. Can you imagine? Of all the great preachers, there is only one preacher that stands supreme. Yes. Of all the powerful, gifted preachers, there has only been one preacher that is worthy of praise, glory and honor. Yes. Of all the powerful preachers who have, who have ever lived, there is only one that they get their message from. Amen. Amen. All the ones we exhort... They get their message from one person, yes. the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no preacher worth their preaching that does not rely upon the message of Christ in order to have anything to say at all. Right. Meaning this without him, we have no message That's right. without Christ. There is no gospel right. without Christ. We're not even here. That's right. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7 tells us that he taught crowds and they were amazed at him because he taught as one with authority. Mm -hmm. Luke 4.22 tells us that all were speaking well of him, about the gracious words that were coming from his lips, that even his enemies were in awe of his words. Can you imagine? When officers of the temple police reported back to the Pharisees on why they failed to arrest Jesus, here was their answer. Never has any man spoken the way this man speaks. They were confounded by his words that they couldn't even lay hands on him to arrest him. We tend to think of Jesus as more than more about being a good doer, a doer of good deeds, a healer, a miracle worker. And why? Because that is what the flesh is drawn to. Wow, look at that spectacular miracle that Jesus did. He walked on water. He multiplied food. We're drawn to the spectacular. We can talk to people about Jesus walking on water, but can you tell people about the Sermon on the Mount? Because I'll tell you this, that people were drawn to the miracles, but they were amazed by his words. The primary reason why Jesus came to preach he proclaimed in his hometown, Luke four eighteen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Matthew four seventeen tells us that when he began his ministry, what did he begin to do? He began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is. Is at hand. What was he doing? For the majority of his ministry. He was preaching. The majority of Jesus's life. In ministry. Was spent proclaiming. Preaching. Exhorting. Explaining. Luke chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that Jesus. Had a practice of going from. One city to the, the other. One village to the other. Preaching and proclaiming what? The kingdom of God. Christ was a preacher. Christ is the king of preachers. He faithfully preached repentance. He faithfully preached the kingdom of God. The gospel to the very end of his earthly ministry. Amen. Amen. The gospel records several sermons. You should read them. Matthew 5-7. through Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 10, the commissioning of the 12, Matthew 13, the kingdom of parables, Matthew 18, the, the child likeness of believers, Matthew 24 through 25, the Olivet Discourse. And, uh, and those are just a few to mention. John six twenty two through 59 records another of Jesus's most famous and beloved sermons in which he presents himself as the bread of life. When you read the Gospel of John, it's interesting. It appears as if John is trying to get through the miracles as quickly as possible so that he could get to the words of Jesus as quickly as possible. Think about this. Have you noticed that? When you look at the feeding of the multitude, it's described in verse number 11. Check this out. It says, Jesus took the loaves and having gave thanks, he distributed those. He distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. That's it. 10 to 20,000 people just got fed. And that's all he has to say about it. Look, hey, everybody got fed. OK, Jesus fed everybody. No fanfare. No. And he incredibly took the loaves and magic dust. I mean, none of that stuff. It was simply he took the loaves and he fed people. Amen. Why? Because the other gospels seem to go into greater detail about these issues. But John is silent about them, or at least he's quick about them. Here's another one that blows my mind. Then they rowed about three or four miles and they saw Jesus walking on the, on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were frightened. I think if you were on that boat, you would have had a lot more to say than, yeah, we were on the boat, we, we went about three or four miles out, saw Jesus, got scared, and then we went back. And then you start to talk about all the words that Jesus said. Why does John do this? There is a reason why, and I think saying all of this is relevant to the text this morning. While the miracles of Jesus reveal his divine power, the words of Jesus that correctly define who he is. Jesus. Those are the things that John wants to focus on. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. The signs are great. The signs are wonderful, but they're not enough for salvation. The sign is not enough for salvation because faith comes from hearing and hearing what by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So you cannot be saved unless you hear what the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing what the word of God. That's why Paul goes on to say, and how will they hear unless a preacher goes and how will they go unless they're sent? And then he goes to the vinyl and how blessed or how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Amen. 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 amen, This crowd is a perfect illustration of this complete truth. The crowd is enjoying the benefits of his miracles, but they're hostile to what? His words. words. Yes. Are you are you getting that? Yes. Are you seeing that as we're going through this? The crowd loves the, the, the excitement, the entertainment. The crowd loves all of these spectacular things. But when you begin to speak on the word of God, then you have a crowd like you have today at RBC. And at the end of this chapter, it will get even smaller. Hopefully this church is not. Verse, uh, let's go to number one. Hey. Number one. The wicked response of the gospel or the wicked response and the general offer of the gospel. You can write them either way. The wicked response of the gospel or the general response or the wicked response and the general offer of the gospel. Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert or in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, put yourself in the crowd. Maybe you're one of the, the bystanders who just hearing all the conversation, and hearing everything that's going on. Amazingly, after this crowd, this multitude witnessed with their very own eyes, Jesus taking what little food that he did have and multiplying it to feed 20, 10 to 20,000 people. They asked Jesus after his words. Prove it. Maybe that went over your head. He just fed 10 to 20,000 people. And he says, listen, your works righteousness is no good. The only way that you will be saved is by trusting in the son of man whom God has sent. The response. What sign will you show us? Verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom the Lord has sent. The Bible says in Matthew twelve thirty nine: a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. What a wicked, wicked response. Let me say to you, unbelief is never satisfied. That's right. Unbelief is never satisfied. No matter how much evidence is given, That's right. unbelief is never satisfied. No matter, how, no matter how many hours of reasoning you have given. That's right. Amen. And many of you have invested many hours. Yes. Yes. Unbelief is never satisfied. No matter how much they see transformation in your own life. That's good for you. Yeah. But unbelief is never satisfied. This should be encouraging to some of you. Yeah, yeah. Because in your attempts to witness to friends and family, it appears that you have memorized every verse, yeah. that you have, have memorized every fact that you can think of in order to witness to them, and it's never enough. That's right. Why? Because unbelief is never satisfied. Even if it is satisfied, there may be a response of, well... I believe all that and I hear all that but I'm just not ready and, and, and I got to work on me for right now. That's right. That's Luke 16.31 tells us that those who reject the truth of God's word will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. And you did rise from the dead, didn't you? Yes. And guess what? They still don't believe. Wow. In spite of all that, even if Jesus were to show up himself, shake their hand, and introduce himself as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they would still say, Nice to meet you, Jesus, but just not right now. Why? Because their hearts have been hardened to the knowledge of truth. Their eyes are still blind and they are walking in darkness. Is that your fault? No, it is not. Is that God's fault? God is sovereign. And God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. We'll get to that. Jesus exhorted the crowd to believe. But instead of believing, they what? They demanded another sign. What did they really want? Now, here's what's interesting. It sounds like they're trying to hustle Jesus. Because yesterday, they had a great dinner. I mean, can you imagine the food that Jesus could make? bread and fish, it probably was better than anything that you can imagine. But here's their response. They said, show us a sign, and here's what the sign we want to see from you. Verse 31, our fathers ate (laughs) ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they asking Jesus to do? Prove it. Give me some more bread. Our fathers ate bread. Give me more bread. You think you're greater than our fathers? Give us bread every day. Because what are they saying? Our fathers ate bread every day. Right? So if you think that you're up there with Moses, then give us bread every day. I bet you they were even willing to stay on that mountain as long as Jesus fed fed their bellies every single day. Interesting. Interesting. Their wicked response was wicked, not only because they demanded Jesus to to give them a sign, but their request was self centered. More food. How many times have you asked God to prove himself? What did you want? What were you asking them to do? And what did you learn when you found out that God cannot be commanded? Wow, it's true. Amen. Matthew 4 7. Luke four twelve, both quote Deuteronomy six sixteen that says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. Wow. Okay, God, if I do this, will you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Lord, if I go here, then you have to show me somehow, some way that you're going to. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are? Think right. You're gonna bargain with God? You're gonna make a deal with God? Please. And that may be God's response to you. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Jesus had no intention of playing their game. He had no intention of gratifying the wicked response of these people. You may ask, well, why wouldn't he? If he really wanted people to believe in him, then why would he not show them a sign so that they would believe? Why, Why didn't God just show up? On the Dr. Drew show and say, look, everybody, I'm here. I'm real. Then the world would believe, right? No. And ultimately about that, I can't answer that question. But here's what we do go back to Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is this is the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man. Ultimately, the rich man went to hell. And in hell, he realized that he was wrong. And so he calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham, go to my brothers or send Lazarus to my brothers to tell them about this place. Abraham says, no, I'm not going to do that. The rich man says, well, well, send someone to go and, and speak to my brothers because I don't want them to end up in this place. And you know that the response of Abraham was this. They have Moses and the prophets. Wow. They have this. Amen. If they're not going to listen to this, they won't listen to anyone, even if someone comes back from the dead. Wow. Wow. Amen. That's right. That's they receive their revelation. Yes. You've received your revelation. Yes. You've received natural revelation. Look at the sun. Look at the moon. Yes. That did not just appear from fungus. <laughs> yes. However you want to reason that. <laughs> yeah. They've received revelation from God's law where written on their hearts and on their consciences, which is why they know lying is wrong, which is why they know stealing is wrong, which is why they know murder and adultery and so on and so on are wrong, because God has written that on their hearts. They've received revelation from the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. And he has spoken his truth to them and they have received revelation from God's word. So they've got enough proof. Bottom line, they will not believe because their foolish minds are darkened. Verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, here's his response. It was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember. That Jesus prefaces his statement with amen, amen, or truly, truly. And here's the rebuke. Number one, it was not Moses, but God. The whole time that you've been looking to Moses, you've taken your eyes off of God. The whole time that you thought it was a man feeding you, it was God. The whole time that you've been trusting in someone, you've missed the person that's been providing for you the whole time. You adulterous, wicked people. Yes. Exodus 16, 4 says, behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Most did not create this bread. God did. That's right. Rebuke number two, the manna did not really reside in heaven. Amen. Jesus is clarifying their literal understanding of this. You think that God has some kind of bakery in heaven? <laughs> it's done. Drop them down. Jesus is saying there is no bakery in heaven. The manna was supplied by God, but it was a foreshadow of the true bread, the Lord Jesus Christ that came down from heaven. And he says, he's the true bread. You want real bread that came from heaven? You want heavenly bread? You're standing in front of it then. That manna that was created here. God made that. Yes. Yes. But if you want something that truly came from heaven, then look to Christ because he is the true bread. Number three, rebuke, the manna, it gave you physical life. The bread of God will give you spiritual life. That manna sustains your body, but it, it only sustains you for that day. You couldn't even save it for the next day because it would rot. Instead, don't look for the bread that's going to satisfy you today. Look for the bread that's going to satisfy you for eternity. Your soul. That bread will feed your body, but it will not feed your soul. That bread will help you for today, but it will not give you spiritual life. Yes, yes. Zoe, yes. spiritual life that is found only in Christ. Yes. Jesus often rebuked the people for, for focusing on the temporal satisfactions, rather than looking to the eternal satisfaction, which is only found in Christ. Only in Christ. Yes, yes. If you are only seeking that which is going to sustain you for today, then let me tell you, brothers and sisters, Take your pick. If you want something that's going to feed your flesh for today, take your pick. That's right. Amen. The world's got a bar full of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> take your pick. Whether it be materialism, whether it be drugs, whether it be sex or alcohol or, or, or entertainment, you take your pick. That's right. You'll get your fix for today. That's right. That's right. But if you are seeking that which will sustain your soul for eternity, then there is only one road. There is only one way. Yes. There is only one truth, and there is only one life, and that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Amen. 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 Oh, but it doesn't feel good. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> but I think. Remember what I told you about thinking and feeling. You need to stop that. But <laughs> at least making your thinking and your feeling the ultimate authority. That's right. Manna, fourth rebuke was only for true Israel. The true bread of God is for the world. That manna, who was it being supplied for? For Israel. It wasn't being given to the Amalekites. It wasn't being given to the Jerzerites or whatever other ites. But the true bread that comes from heaven has been provided for the world. Unlike the manna that was only given to Israel, the bread of God is offered to everybody. People of tribe, nation, tongue, God offers salvation to all who believe, to all who believe, or the believing ones of Christ are given salvation. Regardless of nation, race, creed, background, economic status, social status, age, gender, the bread of God is given to all who believe. Amen. 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 The bread of God is given to all who believe in spite of their sinfulness. In spite of their selfishness, what is Christ doing? He's offering himself. He's making a general call of the gospel. Can you imagine? These who are saying to him, give us another sign. He's saying to them, come if you believe. Number two. The reason why they would not is because of their spiritual blindness. Verse 34. They said to him, sir. Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Amen. Yes. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Yes. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There is so much there. But think about this. Jesus gives them an invitation to believe. He gives them an invitation and says, there is bread of life for you. And here's the response. Bread? Where's the bread? You got more bread? I want bread. (laughs) Jesus wants to, I mean, slap someone in it. You're still thinking about, okay. (sighs) Though you have seen and heard the audacity that they have to ask Jesus for more bread. You mean that there's better bread that you gave us yesterday? Well, then give me Give me always, they say. And they completely missed the point. And and we may think uh, shame on these blind fools, but they were coming to Jesus to fulfill their shallow needs. And they did not think they were in spiritual need. They were coming to Jesus to fill their, their, their physical needs. But they didn't understand that they were in spiritual need. You know people like that? That when you talk to them, they don't understand the desperate situation that they are in, that they desperately need Christ. Yes. They think they're okay. Yes. You know they are yes. toe up. Yeah. They think they're fine. Yes. Yes. And you are so sad because you cannot convince them right. of their spiritual blindness. All they see is bread. Yeah. Yeah, they appealed to their forefathers, Moses, which they would include Abraham, because of their bloodlines and because of the rituals that accompanied void true worship, they believed that they were spiritually well, but physically destitute. They had the opposite in reverse, meaning this. They believed physically we need food. Spiritually we're fine. Abraham's our daddy. We need food though, Jesus Give me food. And Jesus is saying, but you've got the reverse. Spiritually, Abraham cannot save you. Neither can Moses and neither can the prophets. You don't need food. You need me. And he says to them, and this food, should you accept it, will cause you never to hunger and never to thirst. You will be absolutely, completely fulfilled. How often do we come to Jesus with a desperate, empty, bankrupt-without-him attitude? Because, brothers and sisters, that is what he's telling these people they need. You need to recognize your bankruptcy. You are nothing without him. And therein lies the point of Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. And for those who do not, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus told them plainly in verse 36, I'm the bread of life. I have been speaking not of actual bread. I've been speaking of myself. And then he once again makes the general call of the gospel. Verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever he's calling out to his sheep. And he goes back to the metaphor of physical needs. Hunger. And thirst. Guess what, they, guess what they probably heard? Hunger and thirst. Because why? What are they looking for? Food. But there's an underlying message in that general call. Here's the underlying message. Now listen to it. I'm going to say it again. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now if you're in the crowd and you're thinking about food and drink, what are you going to hear? Hunger and thirst. But if you're a sheep that belongs to Christ, what are you going to hear? Come and believe. Do you hear that? Yes. That you can, you can hear this message, but if you belong to him, there's something else that stands out to you that says, wait a minute, I can come to you, and all I need to do is believe? Yes. Yes. And then the other one is saying, okay, what kind of food is he going to make for me? Because I'm really hungry. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about the sheep and the goats. Yes. Yes. And as this general call comes out, his sheep are hearing come. His sheep are hearing believe. To come to Christ is to forsake the old simple life and to repent of your rebellion. Yes. Turning to Christ alone for your salvation, to be saved from the wrath of God. Amen. Amen. Which is upon every single person that trusts upon himself or yes. themselves for salvation. Yes. Spurgeon said, You and your sins must separate, or you and your God will never come together. Wow. So come. Place your faith in Christ and His finished work. For these two are inseparable. Repentance and faith. Oh, you say, but not now. Oh, you say, but it doesn't all make sense. Or or you say, oh, I must go say goodbye to my loved ones. Or you say, let me first go bury my parents and then I will come. Or you say, my work schedule is too busy and I can only come a few times a month. Oh, you say, I have a hobby that I'm not willing to really let go of. Yet I have a birthday party. I have an event. I, 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 I. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope that it all pans out for you in the end. That's right. That's right. Because I know it won't. That's right. Verse 36, but I have said to you that you have seen me Mm. and you do not believe all that you've ever wanted and needed is standing before you. All you need to do is come and believe. And that hunger and thirst, that secondary, it will be satisfied. But you're spiritually blind. Your hearts are darkened to the truth. As your forefathers wandered in the, in the wilderness, the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united to faith. To those who heard Hebrews four two. The miracles and the signs, they only wanted Jesus to give them more miracles and more signs. They were not willing to believe. And was it Jesus' fault? Did he somehow fail? Did he somehow walk away kicking rocks saying, dang it, I'm no good. Verse 37, no. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Think about this. Think about this now. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Is there a number that God knows, the Father, that he has set us apart to come to Christ? Absolutely. Because Jesus would not say all that the Father gives me will come to me unless there was a number or a people set apart for Christ. Yeah, he knows. So is Christ disappointed? No. Because those who belong to him will come to him. Those who belong to him will come to him. It was all within the plan of the sovereign God who, know, who knew all, who knows all, and all who belong to Christ will come to him. All. I had a person say to me, you say all doesn't mean all and world doesn't mean world. Well, you're right, sir. Because all is the collective body of chosen believers that belong to God before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 It is not all without exception. It is all with distinction. We are, you are, the believers. Those who have trusted in Christ. Listen, you are a loved gift from the Father to the Son. Do you realize, what are you known as? What is the church known as? Is it cold in here? Okay, turn down. What is the church known as? What is the church known as? The bride. Who's the groom? Who sought for the bride? The father. The father goes and gets a bride for the son. You are a love gift. From God the Father to God the Son. Can you imagine being a part of that great love? How amazing and wonderful and deep and beyond our comprehension that is. So as this general call is being given to the crowd, the sheep who know the voice of Christ, who know the voice of their shepherd, who know the voice of their groom, respond in what? In repentance and faith. And God is sovereign in salvation. a man is not. The Bible says in John uh, John 6, 44, no man, no one can come to me unless. No one can. Remember remember that? Can? When you told the teacher, can I go and uh, sharpen my pencil? They say to you, I don't know. Can you? Right? Versus may I? It's a difference, right? No one can. It's a matter of ability. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him. Why? Because you're a part of that love gift from the Father, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says the same thing in verse 65, Matthew 22:14. Many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 13:20. Unless the Lord has shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. Acts 13:48. Romans 8:28 through 30. Ephesians 1, 4. Colossians 12. And the rest of the entire Bible. It's all in there. <laughs> I can go forever. Here's the good news. Although you were spiritually dead, unbelief, the unbelief of a spiritually dead sinner cannot thwart the saving grace of God. What do I mean by that? That even though you were dead, that will not stop the plan of God to bringing you to life and making you His own. Because that's what He does. He brings dead things to life. If you don't believe me, ask Lazarus when you get there. Ask all the saints when you get there. As a matter of fact, you don't got to wait. Turn around and ask your neighbor. Because they could say, I was stinking too and He called my name and I rose up. Yes. Hallelujah. Yeah, we, we were all we were all the Walking Dead. Yes, we were. Amen. We were stinking in our grave. Yes. And he called yes. Ophelia, yes. rise, Gilbert, rise, Mark, rise. Yes, yes, yes. And what did we do? We rose in yes. repentance and faith and trusted and believed. Yes. And now he's going to re- re- revive our bodies, glorify yes. our bodies one day, and we will reign with him for eternity. Yes. Having yes. chose us, and eternity pass. He graciously calls us and irresistibly calls us to himself. And guess what? We will come. Yeah. When God commands, we respond. Yeah. We don't say no. no we don't. If we say no, it's because he lets you say no. He even enables your disobedience. Or he even allows your disobedience. He's even sovereign over your disobedience. Okay, I'm going to let you, but when I want you, you're mine. Jesus says, of oh, the one that comes to him, I will never cast you out. You are a gift from the Father and you will forever be mine. I will never leave you nor forsake you in spite of you. Imagine that. In spite of how you think you feel about yourself today. In spite of how you think how saved you are today. You belong to him. Amen. And he says he will never leave you Amen. or forsake you. What a joy it is to know that our groom is not like the grooms of today. That I love you today and maybe not tomorrow. (laughs) Or some or some never mind. Let's not go there. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing. Oh, praise God of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's come to be served. He's come to serve and not to be served. He's come to give his life as a ransom for many. And in that sacrifice, he did not, could not, and would not fail. Amen. He says that I would lose none. That I would lose nothing. All that the Father has given to me, I will not lose one. Amen. Perseverance of the saints. I will not lose one. You are... Continuing to persevere because you are being preserved. He will not lose you. You're his. He will not let you go. You belong to him. Praise God for that. Glory to God for that. You belong to him. He will hold on. To, you will not be left to the wayside. He is going to hold on. And how many times have you thought, I, I think I might lose it right now. Why are you still here? You may ask yourself that question when you look in the mirror today. How am I still here? Is it because of my own strength? Because of my own willpower? You must be crazy. It's because the saving, preserving grace of God that has said, I shall lose none of whom the Father has given to me. Mm -hmm. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Verse 40 and finally. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. Doesn't sound like a repeat of John 3.16. Yeah. What has John the, the Apostle been doing this whole time? But these things are written so that you may believe. But that these things are written so that you may believe and have life in the Son of God. What a gracious Savior we have. This gives us insight into this. And I think it's so important. Because He offers, they reject. He offers, they reject. He offers once again in verse 40. And you're going to find that they reject again. But it gives us insight into pleading for the gospel. It gives us insight into pleading when you present the gospel. It gives us insight into making a deep and passionate plea to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, to turn to Christ and be saved. For who wants someone that is not passionate about their own plead? No. When you plead with someone, when you share the gospel, don't be passe about it. This is a life and death situation. Your life is on the line. Tell them your life is on the line. My wife was recently in Susanville for a week. And every single person, every single family member that she got in contact with, they stayed away from her because they all knew. She's coming with it. (laughs) She's coming with it. And she cornered three people. And every single time, you don't have time. You think this is going to last forever. The wrath of God is upon you You think yes. that tomorrow is going to be here yes. for you and that maybe one day when you're ready, what if it never comes? That's right. That's this right. must be your plea. This yes. must be your passion. What if yes. it never comes? Yes. What will you do? Yes. Yes. And at the end of this, you can say, "My blood is, your blood is not on my hands. Yes. Hallelujah. Because with all my heart, I have pleaded with you. But in the meantime, yes. I'll be praying for you. Yes. Yes. And I'll be praying that God mercifully yes. withholds the day of judgment yes. from you yes. so Hallelujah. that you may believe. Amen. Oh, it's that dire. Yes, it's that desperate. It's yes. that deep. When you're on the when you're in the parks, brother. Yes. That's how we should be crying out. Yes. When we're in the prison, sister. Yes. That's yes. how we cry out. Yes. Why do you think I preach to you the way I do every Sunday after yes. Sunday? Even though I know many of you are here here are saved. Yes. Because this is the way we preach when we yes. believe the gospel. Yes. Hallelujah. that today is the day of salvation. Come, you who have ears, you who have eyes, come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and trust in Him for your salvation. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. But even though he knew those were in the crowd. There were some that he knew were not his, correct? Yes. Then why didn't he just go to those that were his? Because they would never be able to say, you never told me. Amen. I told all of you. But they're condemned. Yes, they are. And it's their fault. How? God is simply allowing them to have what they want. Their sinfulness. But God, you need to be careful. Who are you to question uh, question God, oh man? Read Romans 9. Read Job. Read the life of Joseph read about God's sovereignty throughout the Bible. As we turn to the Lord in communion, we rejoice because we have responded in faith to Him. And one of the great benefits of responding to Him is being able to fellowship with Him in His Supper. I remind you of the words in which the Supper was instituted on that night. He broke bread I say that again since we are speaking about the bread of life on that night he took bread and he broke it and he says this is my body that is broken and likewise he took the cup and says this is the blood of the new covenant which is my blood he would soon be suspended upon a cross the bread of life for the world. His blood would be shed, the blood of God for the world. Every tribe, nation, people and tongue, those who would believe Oh, He knew you before the foundations of the world. And He knew that this time would be more than a memory. More than a ritual. But a time in which you could bring your sin. Be reminded of His cross. Literally fellowship with Him. And celebrate now what will be even greater in the future. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your victory that has become our victory. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that you have won on our behalf. And to you, God, be all of the praise and the glory and the honor. Let us stand this morning. And I welcome all of the saints who are a part of a believing body, members of the body of Christ, members of a local church, baptized, repentant believers. I welcome you to the Lord's table this morning as a means of grace to remind you of His grace. Let us fellowship with Him this morning in this unique and special way. Would you come?